0: Hey, everyone. This is Brian Ferguson. If you're listening to this, then I know you are enjoying the Bumps and Thumbs podcast. In order to continue to run the podcast and get guests on the show, we need support from people like you. Please go to anchor.fm forward slash Brian, B-R-I-A-N dash Ferguson, F-E-R-G-U-S-O-N, the number three, and click on the support button. Once you are there, you'll have options to select from to make a monthly contribution. Your support will help us get on wrestling stars that require financial compensation. Again, that's anchor.fm forward slash Brian, B-R-I-A-N dash Ferguson, F-E-R-G-U-S-O-N, the number three, and click on the support button. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your support and enjoy the podcast. Thank you for joining another edition of Bumps and Thumps, The Talk of Wrestling. I'm Brian Ferguson. My guest today is an author, referee, and pro wrestling fan. He also created Wrestle Reunion and authored the book Bruno San Martino, The Autobiography of Wrestling's Living Legend. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to introduce the big cheese, Mr. Sal Anthony Corrente. Sal, thanks for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Brian. You even pronounced my name right, so you get points right out of the gate for that. I
0: was in the Army for 26 years, so I had to pronounce a lot of challenging names, so I appreciate it. Thank you. So let's talk a little bit, you know, you wrote this book, but I want to get into a little bit uh, your roots. So where you grew up, how you grew up. uh, Tell us a little bit about that, if you would, please.
1: Well, I'm from Yonkers, New York. Um, my parents were both born and raised there and, uh, that's where, that's where they still are today. And, um, we were just a middle-class family. My father was a cop for many, many years, but he also taught boxing and a lot of golden glove champions for the police athletic league. And he was also a singer, put out numerous records there all over YouTube from the fifties, sixties and seventies. And, wow. um, the, uh, thing was it was a very quiet life just little league and stuff like that um and started working jobs and then a friend of mine named anthony Atanasio um started his own refrigerator business which has since multiplied more times than i can count mm. but um that was uh, and i worked for him for many years and uh, one day he told me he did a call at a guy's house the guy's name was dominic marcello and he of course lived in yonkers as well and he had all the pictures of the wrestlers. And I had been a fan for about a year or two because I, I did not start watching wrestling as I was a kid like the rest of the kids in the neighborhood. I heard names like Bruno Martino, Ivan Putzky, and Chief Jay Strongbow. But to be honest, that meant nothing to me. Um, I didn't have any interest in trying to watch it or nothing. Um, but Anthony had said that he talked to Dominic, told him about me, and he said he could bring me over the house. So <clears throat> I went to his house. And uh, saw all these pictures. The most exciting thing at the time was seeing the grand wizard without his stuff on. Oh yeah. Never seen that before. And um, the more I talked to Dominic, you know, I said, where do you get all these pictures? And he said, well, we go down to the TV tapings. I said, where are those things done? He said, Allentown, Pennsylvania. And I said, you know, they, they never say that they just say under the auspices of the state athletic commission, but they don't even say what state. So I had an idea. It was, it was Pennsylvania. So I said, well, you know, well, how often do you go? And they said, well, they do it every three weeks. I said, can I go? And they said, sure. If you split expenses, I had never, I was 18. i had never been anywhere without my parents, never traveled. I had only really recently started driving. Uh, I was not no hurry to drive, didn't have to. So I really didn't want to do that. Um, but I went uh, with Dominic and another guy named Mike D'Avanzo. And these guys, uh, again, another guy from Yonkers. And these guys took pictures, not just at the um, At the TVs, but maybe the the Garden, the Spectrum. And many people knew them from from Paul Heyman on to just regular fans that would show up all the time. They knew these guys. Um, They took good pictures and stuff, and and they made money selling pictures on the side outside the arenas. Mm -hmm. Well, um, eventually, uh, well, really, to be honest with you, that first night we were there, um, they introduced me to a guy many wrestling fans know, Professor Elliot Marin. Um, you know, you see Elliot a lot of times in Madison Square Garden. Elliot was a very unique individual. We got to be friends, but he was an interesting cat for sure. But uh, WWE had a lot of faith in him in those days because, you know, he was the one that carried the tapes to New York City. I mean, literally the whole company was in his hands and Elliot never drove a day in his life. Uh, He was famous, though, for being able to tell the boys how to get to any building they wanted to go to. He could just dictate the directions off the top of his head, even though he'd never driven a day. But if he, let's face it, if he lost those tapes, you had big problems. And he had to get from TV down to WOR. Um, So uh, that was also the night Buddy Rogers came back and started to do um, Rogers Corner. It was the first, you know, that was my first foray there. And uh, what uh, what happened after that? Oh, so I remember Rogers walking out. It was like kind of a big deal. And uh, right away, they got me a job watching security in the back door. Um, so that went on for a while and I got to know the guys and et cetera, but then Afa and Sika who had become very good friends with the Samoans, I mean, with uh, Mike and Dominic um, wrote and said that they were finishing up for Bill Watts and they were going to be the team to replace Fuji and Saito. And so when those guys showed up over there, then uh, they introduced me to them and uh, that really started the ball rolling, got very close off pretty quickly. And uh, you know, things just steamrolled from there. So my, you know, activity in the business got to be much more, and then office started kind of teaching me the business, uh, but not really in the ring. I've did very little training for. There's many matches that I've had. I probably had less training than anybody who's ever put on a pair of tights. Yeah,
0: wow, uh, that's an interesting story. Wow, that's pretty. Then grow up really watching it, and then ended up getting involved in it like you did. So, let's talk about uh, you know did some research. You did the the referee uh, bit for quite a while. Uh, Was it mainly in WWF, or was there other promotions you worked for?
1: Well, look, everything that's happened to me has kind of been an accident. To be honest with you, the only reason I even started watching wrestling is because the Mets were playing on the West Coast. I think against the Padres. Well, wrestling couldn't go on at midnight, so it went on at 5 o'clock. Normally, I'd have been asleep. But at five o'clock, I'm turning the channel. There's wrestling. There's really nothing else on. Remember those days when we had five channels? <laughs> I do. So, and that, that's how I got involved. Now, the wrestling, uh, the refereeing, uh, Alpha had taught me a lot about the business. But like I say, not um, not so much in the uh, in the ring, just the psychology of things. Um, so I decided I want to be a referee. Well, getting on with the New York State Athletic Commission was very challenging. Very, very challenging. Um, a lot of political nonsense that that side shouldn't have been challenging, but it was um, my father, even though he was a boxing guy, didn't really care for wrestling, um, but he did what he could to help me. And we knew people and um, through friends of the family, um, I'm just being very honest, Senator Joe Pisani back in the day, um, pretty much called down there and said, give this kid a license. And once he did that, I had the license in five minutes now that. That was one thing to be licensed. It's another thing to get work. Yeah. Oh, so, again, we beat the political drum. And, uh, you know, eventually when I was down there, they called me in the office and flat out said a guy named PD Della. He said, what is it you're trying to prove? So I'm not trying to prove anything. I just want to work like everybody else. But in those days, the work was pretty much limited. Um, you know, a lot of work went to Jack Lotz, who's also from Yonkers. And any, anybody who watched shows in the garden should know who Jack Lots is. And um, then you had, your, your, you know, your Dick Krolls and Billy Caputo got to be very good friends with Billy Caputo, great guy um, and, and so forth. So it was really hard. And even they didn't even want to give me spot shows. But after enough noise was made down there and they chewed me out, then they gave me my bookings after that. Then, you know, some guys, you know, ended up taking a liking to me. A guy named Jerry Vitetta, who was promoting the NWA, called down there and got me in a big show at the Nassau Coliseum and never did get to the um To the actual garden, I might have if I hadn't left New York, but ultimately in 1889, you know, um, I started doing a lot of work. With the NWA because of Nikita Koloff, Uh, Ivan introduced me to Nikita, we became good friends and and he went to JJ Dillon and it's all you know it's all kind of crazy to be honest with you I did a lot of work in Puerto Rico, Um, as a matter of fact, um, Zeus wrestled Abdul the butcher three times you'll find that I am the only person who ever refereed that match twice in Puerto Rico and once in Imperial, California. Um, They insisted they wanted Zeus on the show and we had to figure out what could we do. So I said, well, look, I said, the only guy I know that can do this is Abdullah. So we called Abdullah. He came out and, you know, Zeus was very, pretty humble back in the day. And he was like, you know, uh, when we got in the dressing room, he's like, look, now I've, I've worked with this guy before. And I said, well, I know I was in the ring with you. And then he looked up and he saw who it was and he felt much better because, you know, this was not Zeus's thing. You know, he did the best he could with the with the skills and the limited training that he had. Um, But it was all just just stuff that happened. Like Victor Canonas got me booked and I ended up being a troubleshooting referee in. um, In uh, in Puerto Rico, and, you know, I worked some pretty good matches down there. They named me referee of the year, Joel Goodhart um if anybody remembers that name from philadelphia they should he did a lot of really great stuff Uh, i uh was involved in one of the first what is it the vertical pins that falls anywhere match and we put up against the wall and counted the pin i was one of those the two referees joel wanted one of us on each side and we counted the three and i remember a question i said joel are you kidding with this because we got along really good he said no no it's false count anywhere let's just do it so we did and uh had a, had a good time with that. But mostly I was running around with the Samoans and then getting help from from some of these other guys. And then a guy named Rob Russin, um needed help on a tour. And um, I forget, somebody had bailed out on him. Oh, I guess Kamala had bailed out on the tour and um, we needed to get a replacement. So we were looking around for replacements and then off of the wild Samoan ended up going on the tour. But then after that, Russin started booking me on stuff and then we worked together. For a long time, also, including along first guys to come back to Australia. And I don't know how chronological that all is, but, you know, a, a lot of it was, um, again, just luck and, and being in the right place. Like, I was in Philadelphia, and they were doing TV for the NWA. For whatever reason, Tommy Young wasn't there. Well, I mean, just flat out, they were not happy with the referees in, in Philadelphia. Yeah. So, uh, one of the Murnick brothers comes to me and says, listen, you better be on standby. Um, they're going to the commission now and seeing if you can at least work the first hour. And um, and I said, OK. And uh, so they put me out there for the first hour. And what I was very proud of is because Tony Schiavone didn't know me from anybody. And I don't even know if he remember me today. But he, after the first hour, he came and found me and he said, listen, I want to know what your name is. I want to be sure to promote you on the next hour. So I felt he didn't do that because he thought I was making a mess out there. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, then they said, um, Hey, listen, you're just going to do the second hour. Also the other guys worked, they did the dark matches and, and, and so forth. But, um, on that show, I got to be with dusty and Bobby Eaton in the cage that, um, that matches on is on YouTube. And, you know, one of my prouder moments is coming around the corner and hearing dusty say to Jim Crockett, if Sal wasn't here, we'd be dead. And, uh, oh, wow. you know, I appreciated that. because so he certainly, I was there and, uh, Dusty gave me a lot of breaks basically because of Nikita Koloff. And then, you know, to really tie this thing up, J.J. Dillon and I have become very close over the years. And he certainly took notice of me and started booking me in in big towns with, you know, where they were turning people away. Mm -hmm. And I made the connection until much later when I found out that J.J. and Bruno were very close. J.J. had started as a referee. Mm -hmm. Bruno helped him with no particular reason why. And when I started all coming together in my mind, I said, you know, Bruno, I really think that everything you did for JJ, he tried to pass that on through me because he had no reason to help. Sure. Okay. I went out and worked hard. A lot of people go out and work hard. Yeah. And I didn't even know Bruno at the time. You know, I hadn't really met him yet and uh, really gotten involved with him. So I didn't even know that JJ knew Bruno. That's how little that I knew about it at the time. But it, it all made sense to me. And, and we're still friends to this uh, to this day. If you, you know, you say you saw the book, you should see there's pictures of me, JJ, and uh, Davey O'Hannon in the back eating at Bruno's favorite restaurant. I told him, get down here. We, we, we got to go. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that was basically, uh, you know, down for the
0: wake and all. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, Nikita Koloff, I interviewed him on here. Oh, geez, it's probably been a year and a half. But one of the nicest guys I've ever uh talk to on here, uh, very humble down to earth and, uh, just a nice guy. And I, when he told me his story about getting into the business, I was pretty shocked because he had no training. He said, he just, oh, he, he had, just, he had nothing. Yeah. They just threw him in there and, and, uh, to be able to do that with no training well, is, is pretty remarkable. So.
1: Well, did he, uh, did he tell you about how late he was on the second night and all that uh, he may
0: have. I. Uh, I well, The, I the way the story goes yeah.
1: is um, Koloff and I think Koloff and Karnodal, um, you know, were riding with him and he just was late. They were supposed to get down there, work out in the ring, blah, blah, blah. Crockett was incensed. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, here's the guy, as you said, with no training, doesn't matter how impressive he looks. Right. Literally no training at all. Right. So, Ivan calmed Jimmy down. But he said, I'm just telling you, if this guy trips going through the ropes, he said, sit it. Nikita Koloff's finished. But, you know, Nikita was a natural born athlete anyway. Got through it. And then, of course, you know, over time, got some training, you know. But let's face it, if you look at early matches in Nikita, I mean, some people are lucky their heads didn't get taken off. Yeah. And uh, I don't think I've ever told this story, but I'm going to tell it now. All right. We were working for a guy in Tennessee. I was living with Nikita as his roommate by this time. He'd moved me down to Carolina. He's got me a tryout with Nelson Royal, and I was Nelson Royal's head referee. Um, I was booking a show for, I guess the the guy's name was John Huey, I think, from up in Tennessee. And um, we called Manny Fernandez and uh, told him he was going to work with Nikita in the main event. And to be honest with you, he wasn't too happy about it. Um, But he agreed to do it. Everything was fine, but he hadn't seen or worked with Nikita in a long time. Well, they had a good crowd up there and a good house, and uh, Nikita had really improved tremendously. And, and Manny pointed that out in the middle of the I, something was said, and um, oh, I think he looked at me and say, "Sal, this guy's turned into one hell of a worker." And Nikita said, "You were always a great worker," and so I knew it was all it was all good. But that had been the change that a guy a technician like Manny, who really was fantastic in the ring. Mm -hmm. I know how to describe, and I never told Nikita he didn't want to work with him. Right. But by the time it was over that it was because I, the last thing you need to start any more headaches, it's bad enough as it is, but, uh, but it all worked out great.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting story. Uh, Let's talk about what's one of your favorite matches that you did. You know, you talked about Abdullah and, and Zeus is there any other matches? I know you did a lot of them, but the one that really just sticks out in your mind that, that you really enjoyed working. Oh,
1: well, look, there re, there's numerous reasons why matches uh, stand out in your mind. Mm. Uh, and in uh, the Zeus and Abdullah thing, like I say, it was, it was interesting, but it was tough. And again, we're working with a guy who it wasn't his thing and Abdullah, I, I got to say, he put out way more effort than, than you can imagine. And the way the people went back and forth, we lost the people. The building was dead. Next thing you know, they're on the tips of their toes, screaming and yelling. And then they go dead again. And then they play. It was kind of nuts. Um, you know, I guess one of the biggest matches that stands out to me really is um, Dusty and um, Dusty and uh, Bobby Eaton in the steel cage with Cornette outside. Um, TV match. And I didn't even know if I was supposed to be in it. I thought it was beyond me. And I said, Dusty. Am I supposed to be out there with you? He said, of course, it's on television. And, I, you know, which was that was not normal either. Steel cage match on television it was for right. the U.S. So that was a big one. I, I guess, though, one of the prouder moments, and I wish this was filmed, but it wasn't. We were in Baltimore, and this is at the time where we we're turning them away with the N.W.A. So uh, Tommy Young comes and gets me, and we go on a meeting with Dusty, Barry Windham, Bigelow, and J.J. Uh, Dillon. So Dusty "Sal, you're going to be out there with me. He said and uh Barry's going to knock you out. When he does I want you to not move a muscle just like Ronnie Garvin just like I did for Ronnie Garvin. He said you do not move a single muscle. Okay? So <clears throat> they were trying to figure out what they were going to knock me out with and uh you know I said I got these brass knuckles here and uh you know I always carried them you know tried to have them available if needed. And they said, nah, that's no good. Well, 10 minutes later, it became good. So, I mean, it was one of these obvious things, right? It was so huge. I mean, if you were, if you couldn't see it from the last row, you better go get your eyes checked. So, uh, but they used it. And uh, Barry hit me and due to some confusion and believe me to this day, it was 100% confusion. I got blamed for some stuff that really was on the wrestlers. It wasn't on me and me and Tommy Young did not get along well he didn't get along with me I had no problem with him other than the fact that I took heat for something that I didn't do yeah. well the bottom line is he had to come down there and revive me and make the count and, and all this other and I had to change things change things back and um, what basically um, happened is Tommy comes over and starts to revive me and he said Sal that was one hell of a bump you took now for a guy who doesn't like you to even say anything so I figured that was a, a good deal and it was one of those deals uh, that, you, you know, you just felt like everything was right. So that's another, I was in Baltimore. And I, and I felt, good about, felt good about that. But to be honest with you, I was in so many good matches and matches are the first time I refereed, even though me and Ricky Steamboat were good friends, I hadn't worked with him, you know, so I got to work with him. And in a match where uh, it was down in Sumter, South Carolina, and Paul Jones said, we were kind of worried because the guy he was working with, quite honestly, especially for that back in that day, he just was terrible. I mean, he really, did. and Paul Jones said, "South, this goes bad, just get it over with quick. This guy was the best, probably the best worker on the whole show. <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow. You know, so you just never know, yeah. you know, looking. So him and Steamboat really had a good uh, a good match, but yeah, the, it, it's really hard for different reasons. You know, I always like working with a guy like Charlie Fulton, if you know that name, mm-hmm. I mean, Charlie was one of the best there was, you, you know, didn't get the credit he deserved, but he, he was fantastic. And uh, of course, the Samoans are always fun. But um, I, I can't really think of anybody um, that I didn't really enjoy working with. Um, I worked with the Powers of Pain and the Road Warriors once. And to be honest with you, just staying out of their way was an absolute miracle. I mean, yeah. these guys were young. Those NWA rings are smaller than the WWF rings. These guys are slamming each other all over the place. Um, but the, the best thing about it is, because that was the first time I had worked with the Road Warriors. I mean, we got along, but that was the first time I'd worked with them. And uh, when we came upstairs, Hawk went into his screaming mode and said, of course, I had no idea this was coming whatsoever. He says, hey, JJ. Well, at that point, there's You could hear a pin drop in the room, right? He says, this kid's one hell of a referee. So, you know, those, th- those are the kind of things that make you proud. When a guy like that yeah. sizes the entire dressing room to make that speech instead of saying, hey, JJ, this kid's good, you know? Um, I guess um, another interesting one was uh, out in Denver. Um, I started to work with the Ganyas. Um, but some things through confusion, me and Greg talk about it quite often now. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't really remember too much of it, but I think I've jarred his memory, but I had a bad reputation for no reason whatsoever, but, um, it was a complete mistake hundred percent. And anybody who knows me knew that. So I went to Jimmy Snook and I said, Jimmy, look, I don't know what to do here, man. I said, they won't let me work. They think I did this and that. And he said, go see Nick. Nick will fix the whole thing. So I went over and talked to Bach Winkle who knew me. He went over and talked to Greg. He said, okay, everything's set. You try out tonight. He said, they're going like to put, put you in the first match. And uh, everything, everything should be okay. So I go out. I do the first match. Ganya's meeting me at the dressing room when I get back. And he said, listen, everything was great. Uh, could you stay and do the main event? So, I mean, I'm thinking I'm doing one match and, you know, take my stuff off. Right. So I went to Colonel De Beers, who I got along with extremely well. And I said, hey, Ed, they, they said that I could stay and do your match. He said, of course they did. Me and Jimmy told them that there's no way the rest of these guys can do this. You have to stay and do it. It was a coal miners glove match with a double glove.
0: Ah, yes. yeah.
1: And they couldn't take a chance on it being messed up. But the thing that stands out to me about it, I was very young, right? I didn't really understand everything at the time. Mm-hmm. So we had the match. Everything went great. De Beers took out the second glove, knocked Snook out, and he gets pinned right in the middle. Of course, I, don't, I never saw the second glove. Right. So when I get back, I said, hey, Nick, what'd you think? I said, the crowd reaction was kind of weird. He said, Sal, let me tell you something. You were only seconds away from a riot out there. So what are you talking about? He said, did you hear that dead silence? They were all in shock that Snooker was beat. He said, I'm telling you. And, and of course, it wasn't the fact that Snooker got beat. It was how he got beat, blatant yeah. cheating. You know, he said, I'm telling you, you were seconds away from a riot. So I've never forgotten that because that is when things go bad, right? Yeah. They weren't doing. They were. You could literally hear a pin drop in the place. So those are some of the some of the interesting matches that I've had uh, had over time.
0: You had a very interesting uh, career as a referee. It sounds like I'm going to go back and watch some of those matches now and look for you because uh, yeah, well,
1: I don't look like I do now. I could tell well, you
0: that. That's okay. <laughs> I don't either, my friend. I don't either. <laughs> I didn't look like this back then, I could tell you that. Let's talk a little bit about you uh starting up the uh wrestling reunion, wrestle reunion. Yeah you did. No. Well you've left out about 12
1: years in the middle somewhere. If uh if you Okay, want to
0: well see. let's talk about Okay, so after you did some refereeing, what else did you do after that?
1: Well, that's when um I was still doing the refereeing for Rob Russell and the booking. Okay. So the finishes, booking the talent, pretty much everything except selling the shows. That's what Rob Russin did. Okay. So I worked with a lot of people there. And then we booked a tour to Australia. Now, there had been no company back there since Jim Barnett.
0: Okay. Oh, wow. It was a
1: big deal. It was set up really well. It was at a place called Australia's Wonderland. Um, we were going to be in the same building for three weeks, two shows a day, 30 minutes a show. Everything was booked. Kamala was the main event. And um, when it was all said and done, they decided they wanted Paul Orndorff. Now, I knew Paul very well, but mm-hmm. this I knew this was going to be big money. Ultimately, we booked him. The park didn't care. End of story. So, okay. <clears throat> so we go over there to Australia, and it's determined that I'm going to be, before we go, it's determined that I'm going to be Friday for Kamala. If you go and look and see Paul Ondorf Kamala Australia on um, on YouTube, you'll see me, Paul. A girl named Debbie Levy, who was uh, part of the crew over there. Young girl, really nice um, young girl. And, uh, and Kamala, you'll see me in the Friday outfit. And um, it's about a minute and a half, two minute long clip, but it's, uh, it's cool. It was on Australia's version of Wide World of Sports. So that just goes to show you the publicity. We were on Good Morning Australia. Um, Orndorf and um, Al Green and Mark Laurinaitis, the Terminators, they were all on a show called Hey, Hey, It's Saturday. Which doesn't mean anything to you, but was a show in Australia for 25 years. Wow! Uh, they flew them over to Melbourne for that. Yeah, it was a big hit show. Yeah, and we did all kinds of stuff. So it was a real, real tour. So what I told Rob is, they haven't had wrestling here in a long time. Let's figure out how this is going to go. So we sent out the first match, which was maybe Cousin Luke against somebody, mm-hmm. and E Mouse finish um, leg on the ropes. Um, you know the pin is stopped. Next time, legs on the rope, the referee just counts. Well, the people literally lost their minds. <laughs> I I looked at Rob. I said, this is going to be a breeze. And, you know, it was. We yeah. had we had good matches for the next, um, you know, three weeks, two hours a day. When one got in the ring the first time, I looked at him. I said, two minutes, Paul. He said, what? I said, two minutes. That's it. Because the, the deal was – you got thirty minutes to put on a show. Those people better be back out in the midway in the thirty-first minute. You know what I mean? It was thirty minutes of entertainment. Back yeah. out in the, and um, you know, so that was a big deal. But that started my, that started my managing career. Okay. Um, you know, working with Kamala, and of course, again, I knew nothing. Somewhere right after the match, James looks at me and he says, "You the sorriest Friday I ever seen in my life." <laughs> well, I was like, "Oh my." God, what did I do wrong? So we got in the back. I said, "James, look, I'm sorry. I I don't what's." He said, "What are you talking about?" And I said, "You said I was the sorry." I said, "Oh, I was just screwing with you, man. It's all good." But you know, at the time he said, "You know, here I am, just the referee." Next thing, you know, I'm out there managing him. You know, yeah. Uh, But it was it was a lot of fun. Australia was a great place at the time. You could have left me there for 20 years with the pay we were getting and the hotel and the, the, all these beautiful women, chauffeurs taking us anywhere we wanted to go. It was all crazy.
0: Yeah. Wow.
1: So then I started wrestling and managing in the Carolinas when I when I came back. Worked a lot with a guy named Gorgeous Gary Royal, um, former NWA Junior Heavyweight Champion. And even yeah. though I had enough training, Gary could literally work with him. is another Charlie Fulton type. Could just work with anybody, work around anybody. You know, as a matter of fact, we were working one night, and he said, um, "Just schoolboy me to beat me." I said, "Gary, I can't do that." He said, "Yes, you can." I said, "No, I can't, Gary." He said, "Sal, I'll do it to myself." Just sure enough, he did.
0: You know, <laughs> you know that's that's
1: the kind of guy that yeah. he was. You just put your arm around my neck, I'll be in it.
0: <laughs> <Okay>.
1: <laughs> you know, so I did a lot of that. Most of it was cartoon, especially when I was a heel. Most of it was cartoon type stuff. Yeah. You know, more Lou Albano type of, you know, just goofiness out there. That's what I grew up with, right? Lou was like, I mean, back in the day, I don't know where you're from, but back in the day, I mean, people wanted to kill Lou
0: Albano. Yeah.
1: I I mean, just literally kill him. Bruno told me about the first time he went out there and said, um, he's an embarrassment. Bruno's an embarrassment to the Italian people. I want to change my name to Lou Albin. And, uh, (laughs) you you know, people just, um, so, so yeah, that's what. I obviously had limited skills, but, um, but we did fine. We entertained people and that's really what it was about. Yeah. You know, the best wrestler isn't
0: always the most entertaining. That's true. That's very true. All right. Well, let's talk about,
1: let wrestle
0: reunion. Let's talk about how'd you come up with that? What was,
1: well, there had been some conventions going on um, with a decent amount of people and decent attendance, but I thought, You know, all these guys can still work. What what are they doing? I mean, they're just signing autographs and leaving. So I decided to put this concept together. And uh, Rob Russon was going to help me with it. And uh, we knew that it was going to be so big that credibility was going to be a problem. Even though a lot of people knew me, a lot of people didn't. Right. And um, so I called Bill Apter and he said he was willing to stand up for me. And at the time, I was working and traveling 300 days a year. Oh, wow. old diamond dallas page uh, i went to la met with page and uh, he said look so i mean we'd work together of course but he said mm-hmm. i don't know you that well he said but rob does and rob says to back you so that's what i'm going to do so these guys put their names on it to say that it was all going to happen and um you know that was the start and then i just tried started putting matches together yeah you know and uh but it was not easy it was uh, Calling people, you know, and I was very upfront with everybody. This is what we're going to pay you. This is what we want you to do. Um, You know, some people jumped on board right away. Others did not. Eventually, it got to a point where people were pissed off if they weren't booked. Because Mm -hmm. the event was so big that it was almost more of an insult not to be included. Yeah. Um, And that became a problem to some extent. But like, um, you know, certain things like this gorgeous Gary Royals is a good friend of mine and and a great worker. And I wanted him to be part of this. So I said, well, who do you want to work with? He said, well, I'd love to work with Shawn Michaels again. He said, but since that's not possible, why don't you get Marty Jannetty? Because um, Gary was in Kansas City with Sean and Marty both. And worked with these guys night after night after night when they first started out. So, um, you know, I remember Jannetty walking in the building and seeing Jannetty probably had no idea what he was booked on whatsoever. Right. Yeah. He walks into the building and he sees all these guys all over the place. Somebody must have pointed me out. I'm sure he didn't remember me. I'd worked with him and Rose and Summers. And you want to talk about great matches. Rose oh. and Summers, Midnight Rockers. Forget yes. it. Yeah. yeah, absolutely amazing mm-hmm. um, guys to work with. And plus Sherry Martell was a good friend of mine, too. So, you know, that only helped. But, but even, even without it, it was just fantastic.
0: Yeah.
1: Said, um, can you tell me who I'm working with? And I said, sure, Gary Royal. And uh, he said, you mean the real Gary Royal? I said, yeah, the real one. And uh, Gary came out later and he said, Marty came over to me and wanted to know how he got booked on this thing. I told him that, you know, I requested him. And when the funny thing about it, why is it an important story Russell reunion 1? These guys obviously knew each other, had worked together well into the double digits, maybe the triple digits. And mm-hmm. um, once they had that match, it wasn't long after that that Gennady was right back in the WWE. Um, uh-huh. Now, of course, that uh-huh. didn't last long due to other issues, but he pretty much went straight from a People saw what he did there. And, you know, Pat Patterson, I invited Pat down because Pat gave me some breaks uh, too and um, booked me in Denver and, and so forth. It was on some shows with me. So he knew I could work. So he came down. I wanted to sign autographs at the time. He wasn't doing that, but he said, I will come by. So I'm sure he made a full report to the office and Gennetti, um, you know, got back in there yeah. and um, you know, Bob Orton refused to wrestle. Um so that was a problem because I really wanted Bob to be there with Piper and and the whole thing. And he said, look, I understand if it's a problem and you can't book me, He said, I, I get it. he said, I can come sign autographs. But that's it. So when I go out to Oregon to meet with Piper face to face to get this settled and, you know, the meeting was good. He said, look, he said, I don't know what to say. And Piper had been on my first show. I promoted a show in Yonkers. Um, mm-hmm. And then we did the first I guess we skipped over that. I promoted the first WrestleMania on closed circuit in Westchester County at the oh. Westchester University College. We did turn away business there. And wow. we had had a spot show before that with Orndorf, Schultz, and uh, Piper against Rocky Johnson, Tony Atlas, and SD Jones. That was also turn away. So wow. when I met Piper, he said, Look, I, I don't know about this. He said, But listen to the guys you got on it. If they're willing to trust you, so am my. So we booked that. Then after that, I had um, lunch with uh, Buddy Rose and Colonel De Beers told him what was going on, told him I wanted Bob Orton to team with them, but Bob refused. And he said, listen, when you get home, call Bob, you tell him I said this. So I repeated what Buddy said. He started laughing. He said, okay, I'm going to do it for you. So next thing you know, Orton's in the six man. And shortly after that, he's back in the WWF too. So those guys went straight from there, pretty much straight back to the WWF. So, you know, obviously what they did was good enough from a guy who didn't even want to put on the tights anymore. Next thing yeah. you know, he's back. He, he's back in WWF. Wow! But putting wow. it together, you know, the truth is in retrospect that um, there were probably too many guys on WrestleReunion 1. Um, you know, I've come to find out, certainly you need to have a, a good, solid card, but it can get so big that it just doesn't make sense anymore. Yeah. Um, because it's point of diminishing return. Now, you know, I was in Hollywood on the way to LAX and Paige called. His roommate at the time was Stone Cold Steve Austin. He said, Sal, what are you up to? And I said, well, I'm heading to LAX, time to, time to head to the next town. And he said, well, you better put that on hold. He said, Steve's ready to talk to you, so come on over to the apartment and, and you can sit down with Steve and tell him what you got going and see what he wants to do. So I went over to uh, play a Vista where Paige was living at the time with Steve Austin, and uh, the uh, bottom line is Steve gave me an open forum, but ultimately – speaking to his agent they just didn't want to do it and i and i think i i understand in retrospect i didn't like it but i think i understood Mm -hmm. um you know the truth is who was i steve austin was the guy and if this thing bombed it was gonna look more worse on him than it would have on me so you know matter of fact i think barry bloom was the agent well i know barry bloom's the agent he said south this thing was overseas We probably said yes immediately um but the truth is that um based on just the crowd we had and what we were giving. And quite honestly, the the real interesting thing to me is the prices for Wrestle Reunion based on what people were getting were practically a giveaway.
0: Yeah. And I yeah. was
1: being told I was a crook. <laughs> I mean, today you can literally show up to an event and get one star. Yeah. For the kind of money that you got everything, including tickets to these wrestling shows, QAs, yeah. everything for yeah. for, you yeah. know. I mean, literally one of these major WWE guys goes to a show. I mean, you're talking about, what, a minute experience? We gave people three days' worth of stuff. Yeah. And I was literally called a crook, and I was ripping people off. And it was just – it was crazy. But I will say this, that people that attended Wrestle Reunion still to this day talk about what a great event it was, yeah. how much fun they had. And we do have the Wrestle Reunion tapes back now. They've been tied up in litigation. So I'm yeah. working – to try to figure out how to monetize these things and what's going to make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, I got to do something, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's not as easy. I think if I had them 10 years ago, maybe WWE might've purchased them. I don't know if they will now or not, but there are numerous ways. So with things like Kickstarter and stuff like that to figure out what to do with these tapes, it's probably a long play, not a short play, but that's all right. Something's got to yeah. be done. I will say this. The wrestling and tapes are probably the most requested matches that are on tape that nobody's ever seen. Still yeah. to this day, 17 years later, people still come to me and want to know when the DVD's coming out. Well, unfortunately, you know, if DVDs weren't stolen every two minutes and crap wasn't uploaded to the internet, yeah. I would have come with my buddy Michael at High Spots probably and, and had this thing out on DVD, yeah. in, you know, quite, quite a while ago. And, uh, and you know, the, right now I, I got to get creative. So, you know, yeah. we're going to go to the market with something because to put all of this into it, And so many of these people are dead, Yeah, you know, crazy. And, you know, quite honestly, the event came off great. A lot of it was through uh, Jimmy Hart. Jimmy Hart was uh, um, he was a tough one. Uh, He didn't want to do it. And he absolutely refused over and over, um, would not even really take my phone calls. I guess um, his wife finally said, look, this guy's calling house every day. You probably better call this guy. So he eventually called me back and refused. And then Lance Russell refused to do it because Jimmy wouldn't do it. And in the meantime, I got Paige just busting my chops, telling me you got to get Jimmy Hart on this thing, right? So we were booked in Memphis. The uh, fabulous ones were supposed to work with um, Corey Macklin against the Rock and Roll Express Jerry Lawler. So they called me to get Stan to to work because me and Stan Lane, you know, we're good buddies and I've been blessed that most of the time he's done, he's done stuff with me. Mm -hmm. So you know, I convinced him, let's go up there. And so now I got Jimmy Hart um, in the dressing room, just me and him. And I said, listen, are you going to do this thing for me or not? And he said, no, I'm not. And I said, well, why not? He said, first of all, I don't believe it's going to happen. He said, "You look at all these guys. You're in advertising. You got books. I said, well, they're all coming. And after 10 minutes, he finally said, I'll do it. Um, I called Lance Russell, told him to do it. Lance, of course, didn't believe me. Called Jimmy to see if... <laughs> Jimmy really said he'd do it. He said, no, no, I told the guy I'll do it. I'll be there. Luckily for me, Jimmy showed up a day or two early at the hotel, and he really started getting this thing wrapped up. Jimmy's amazing, man. He's one of these guys that pretty much can do anything and wants everything to go right, and I learned a lot from him.
0: Yeah. Jimmy Hart, you say that. I met him. He did a little thing for a, a Mid-States Wrestling inside of Harrison, Arkansas. It's about two hours from where I'm from here. I went down there just to meet him real quick, uh, you know, and watch the show. But he talked to me and my oldest son for five minutes just and I said, well, you know, there's other people in line. Oh, no, I got a few minutes, you know, and he just started talking to us and signed a couple things for us. And, and it was a, a really nice guy. I didn't realize how old he was because he doesn't look like he's 80 years old. Uh, uh, sure does not no, but he's 80 years old and uh, just a fantastic guy. So, yeah, I understand that. So, well, you yeah, have an amazing story. You Like you said, when we talked earlier, you need to write a book. <laughs> where, where are you from, Brian? I'm originally from Wisconsin. Uh, I was born and raised there, so I watched a lot of the AWA with the Ganyas. Now I live. <laughs> What's that? I'm sorry.
1: I, no, I, I figured that from Wisconsin. Okay.
0: Now I live in Missouri. I live about an uh, hour north of Springfield, Missouri, which is in southwestern Missouri. Oh, yeah.
1: No, I, I've been to Springfield. Yeah.
0: So I live in a little town called Goodson, and uh, I retired from the Army about seven years ago and uh, fully, fully retired from everything about a year ago. So this is my, my hobby, passion. So. And I love wrestling. <laughs> We went to WrestleCon in uh, Texas a few months back, which you said you were called a crook. I mean, I paid quite a bit of money to be down there, and it was it was fun, but some of those autographs and pictures you took were were not cheap. I'll just say that. No, I'm sure they weren't. Now, and, you know,
1: WrestleCon is the extension of WrestleReunion, right?
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I figured that. Yeah. But I mean, yeah,
1: well, we did the Wrestle reunion events in 2005. We did the next. One. Now, Tampa was the one we started talking about and yeah. you know, various guys came and did things and Bruno did it, even though he didn't travel in the winter, he came for me. And then we did Valley Forge, which is a tribute to the Z- Zabisco San Martino Shea stadium match. And uh, you know, I wanted things to work out a little bit differently than they did, but um, Diamond Dallas page stepped up and took a spot of someone who refused um, probably so not at something I want to get into, okay. but the yeah. so page well, stepped well. up and And did that. We had a good one. Then we had a another good match down in uh, Davie, Florida at the Rodeo Arena. About five years later, four years later, Michael from High Spots came to me and said, why don't we revive this thing? So we just started doing shows in L.A. And they were very well received. Um, Mm. You know, probably some some mistakes um, booking too many again, even though we didn't have the astronomical numbers booking too many people at the same time, which because, again, doesn't matter who it is; it's diminishing return, and these ballrooms are only so big. So you know that that's a whole other issue. But um, after we did Toronto or Miami, I don't remember even which one was last in two thousand and twelve. Told Michael that you know it's time to maybe for me to move on. Um, half the half the week I regret the decision; the other half I'm thrilled to death I made it. But, um, I gave him my hotel contacts to continue using and stuff, which has been a big help to him. And yeah. he's really got this thing down buttoned down now. And, and the truth is Michael from high spot saved the whole first wrestle reunion, because we made promises to people and through a partner who ended up bailing out of the thing, um wow. going to be a disaster yeah. and stepped up yeah. and did a lot of stuff. You know, Michael's one of these guys that looks for no fanfare, no nothing. He just built his company uh, up really well. And, mm-hmm. um, very likable guy and you know we still work together on stuff certainly i consult with him and you know if he's got something he'll he'll call me and yeah. and so forth and um, you know i'm glad russell con has turned into what it is but it was me who initially said you know i think the whole thing needs to be changed this needs to go more to a flea market model if you want to do that just you know go ahead yeah. and he you know i didn't really offer him the name and i don't know that he asked for it either yeah. uh he came up with russell con and i think that that was that was fine
0: no, it was a great event. Don't get me wrong. Um, I, I I enjoyed it. I mean, we stayed at the hotel it was at. Um, no, it's, it, it, look, it's expensive. But it, it is the, expensive, but, you know, I look. They at it, don't
1: set the prices. The talent sets, the, you know. The, the their
0: agents set prices. the price. That's right. Not them. I even had, uh, just to give you an example, Ric Flair was at one, right? The That sure. one. We had to wait two extra hours, whatever reason. Okay, I got it. But Ric Flair's agent, when I had him sign that poster behind me, I don't know if you could see it. Yeah, I see it. He signed it. And I asked him, all I asked him to do was, hey, can you put my first name on there to Brian Ric Flair's Agent come up and said, no, no personalized items. I'm like, I would figure you'd want me to do that so I wouldn't sell it. I never would. But if I right. wanted to, who's going to buy a poster that says my name on it, unless they have the same name? But right but he's like, no. I was like, all right. So I get it. And those agents were like Hawks around on all those guys. The big ones. If you asked for something, uh, you know, they looked at them and as they said, yes or no. And I'm just like, it was a little, little too much, but
1: I, I do. Is what I is. do understand. The only but thing I, I get from these I do guys is the wrestling business is interesting where people don't seem to understand that however much money you bring in, there needs to be a buffer between that amount and what the promoter is going to take home. Mm-hmm. And many times these agents, whatever you want to call them are subsidizing these events because guys want, you know, if they bring in $10,000, they think they're entitled to 9,500 of it. You, yeah. you know, that's really, that's, yeah. it's, it's kind of tough. Yeah. I mean, there isn't, you know, there isn't each side looking out for the other. There's, yeah, inside looking out for themselves and you know but then, then there's some guys who do this just so they can hang out with the wrestler for the week so it's it's tough but you know what rising tide raises all boats and if you don't do that eventually people walk away so
0: yeah no i, I get it it was just a little frustrating at times but it is what it is so one more question I want to talk about your book okay the book it is all right let's talk about what how did you, how were you able to compile all this information? And, and I, I know you said you knew Bruno, uh, but I mean, this book is uh, the autobiography. I mean, you had to get a lot of, I'm sure people involved with that. How did, how did you, how were you able to do that? And how was it the experience for you?
1: Well, once Bruno and I be, became friends, um, we talked often and, um, you know, for long, long lengths of time. You mm-hmm. heard these stories over and over and over. But the one thing that started this ball rolling many years ago, not with this recent book,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Bruno had a deal with these guys that wrote the first book. It turned out to be a financial disaster for Bruno. He never made a dime. Mm-hmm. These guys to court, blah, blah, blah. OK, now, the one thing that bothered Bruno tremendously, because all the books sold out, they did a run of 10,000. And they, I think they only sold them in the Pittsburgh area and they all sold out, which is really not a surprise.
0: Yeah.
1: What would happen is when people would see that Bruno was going to make a personal appearance, they would start listing the book for ridiculous amounts of money because you couldn't get it anywhere else.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, yeah, you know, I, I kind of believe that you hear about a problem once, then you start trying to come up with solutions. But unfortunately, you know, I wasn't in a position or didn't even give it too much thought. But eventually I said, Bruno, I'll be honest with you. I've had enough of this. I, I said, every time you come back from an appearance, we go through the same thing. I'm going to find out, I'm going to go on eBay and I'm going to buy a couple of copies of the book. I had never seen it. I had only really heard about it. Mm-hmm. I went out there and um, bought a couple of copies. I found a company in Raleigh, North Carolina that I could send the book to and they would scan it into a Word document. I don't remember how much it cost, but whatever it was, we paid it and that was it. So then... I got with a guy named Brian Thompson, who, uh, is from somewhere out your way. Yeah. Lebanon, Missouri.
0: I did an interview with him. Yeah.
1: Okay. So Brian, um, and was involved with the other guy that had that Memphis, uh, sheet for some reason, his brain, I mean, his face is staring. You could see it. Um, he had the wrestling, um, you know, Meltzer type thing that he put out squared circle or whatever it was. Um, and, uh. Brian, I think it was, I think his name was Brian too. Um, and uh, so that's how I met Brian Thompson. Mm-hmm. He added the book for me because it was a mess. I mean, quite honestly, the original version, all the wrestlers' names were spelled wrong. It was really probably the worst thing that had ever been put out. Um, it was probably the worst thing that had ever been put out by um, representing Bruno. So Brian, a lot of the editing, clean that up. We added a couple of pages to it. And, you know, a few more pictures. And we put that out maybe in 2007, something like that. Well, over time, I would hear Bruno do an interview from time to time. You know, like I don't listen to my own interviews. And, you know, I know what Bruno's going to say. I mean, I hear the stories one-on-one. So, and I was, but I was listening to one for whatever reason, I don't know. And I said, Bruno, listen, you were a little bit more open on this interview. He said, eventually, he just said, Sal, what, what am I supposed to do? Yeah. He said. The whole business, what am I supposed to do? Look like a jerk out here? And I said, well, Bruno, if that's the way you feel, then why don't we rewrite the book and tell the real stories? He said, "We'll do whatever you want. So I, uh, I would go over stuff with them and go over stuff with them and, and send him stuff and, um, you know, started, started writing. But it took a long time. We were in no hurry. Yeah. You know, quite honestly in my mind, Bruno was going to outlive us all. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I tell. I talked to Davy O'Hannon a lot, who I've become very close to since. And I wish I had met, really met early. I was at an early show with him in Zabisco, but didn't really get to know him. Uh, Bruno would mention his name, you know, fairly often because they got along extremely well. But um, I just pulled out stuff that I knew was crap, and I yeah. put the rears in, which I had heard I could have dictated them from memory. Yeah. Uh, then you know, I started not getting return calls. So I knew there was a problem. And, um, when we got down to the wake, quite honestly, Carol said, um, Sal, what about the book? And I said, well, Carol, I gotta be honest with you. I stopped working on it. He said, I didn't know what direction we were going in here. So, well, I think Bruno would like the book finished. Don't you? And I said, well, sure. But I didn't really think it was my place to decide that. And, uh, that was what we did. And, you know, um, Friend, mutual friend of mine and Jimmy Hart's. Uh, Jimmy introduced me to him. And quite honestly, I wish I had listened to Jimmy sooner. Uh, a guy named Colin Bowman used to be WCW Magazine. Mm-hmm. Colin's a brilliant mind, great for business. Um, we got him involved in all the later Wrestle reunion events. And I called Jimmy one day and I said, uh, "Jimmy, I finally found the right guy to to edit the book." And he says, "Really? Who's who's he going to be?" And I said, "Jimmy, seriously, you need me to tell you who it's going to?" He said, "Oh, Colin." And I said, yeah. He said, yeah, you know what? Perfect choice. So with, without Colin Bowman, I mean, the book, I've, we've gotten a lot of compliments on the book. Yeah. And, uh, you know, five-star reviews on Amazon for most people. And, mm-hmm. you know, I really appreciated that. Amazon reviews o- always help. Mm-hmm. But uh, Colin, it became a passion for him, too. I just don't think it would have turned out the same. Uh, the book is very large. Of course, it's 568 pages, yeah. which is a lot for a book. And truth is, we could have went to a 1,000, but at some point, he said, you, you you better stop. He said, I think enough is enough. Yeah. And then he chose to do it in color once I found out from Amazon that if one page is in color, 568 pages are in color, and we wanted color pictures in there. So the color version, I mean, it's expensive because it's expensive to print.
0: Right, yeah.
1: Because the book is so big. But the truth is, nobody who's bought the color version has regretted it because the yeah. picture kind of like... Yeah, you know, I think half or more of the pictures are in color. And uh, you know, that that's really cool.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, but so, that, uh,
0: that was the
1: thing with the book. Um, yeah. I'm sorry that you know it didn't come out before Bruno had passed yeah. cuz do some stuff and, yeah. and you know, but it just obviously, you know, want to make God let, let them know what your plans are, right?
0: That's right. Yeah. I'm going to put that uh in the description below for people to uh get the book if they want to i'm going to buy a book uh here i've been reading so many books here lately and i'm trying to or trying to catch up uh oh, those I, wrestling I, books
1: i'll tell you one one of the interesting things about wrestling fans somebody told me when i put the new book up book up to take the old book down and i said why it doesn't cost me anything to have it up what if somebody wants it yeah still sell two three four books of the of the old book it's yeah. like people got, the whole thing. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, great. I mean, again, it's if I was paying rent to have it up there, maybe I would have made a different choice. Yeah, but right. I, several years later, and still we're still yeah. selling the book too. Yeah. Um, even though this one has way more pages, way more pictures. Yeah. Of course the other one is cheaper, but uh because it is much smaller. Yeah, but it's interesting. I maybe people want to compare the changes from the first book to the second book, which there there are there are many because yeah. Like, the stories but there were so many more stories to tell
0: and
1: yeah Bruno was a was a great guy um people ask me all the time what you did and you're one of the first people not to ask me but you know why you why did Bruno pick you I don't have the slightest idea um that was yeah. gonna be my next
0: question but you did it for me
1: <laughs> yeah I, I mean I get asked all the time I, I the only thing I know is that I know he trusted me. Yeah uh, with Bruno that that goes a long way. But uh, I really I don't I don't have an answer to it, um, you know, but I, I think his record speaks for itself and who he was and how he drew and everybody has their opinions. But, you know, the truth of the matter is this. When you talk about Bruno Martino and the book, it's a book about a man that was a wrestler. But, you know, what he went through in his early life, how they even came to this country, things went for the country, the kind of stand up guy he was, the things that, you know, he did for people. Um, coming over here as a weakling and, and, and all of that. And and you think about the amazing ride and what he went through, what his mother went through, his mother was his hero and so forth. But when it comes down to his place in the business, I, I don't know how you question it. You've got, he's the only guy in the business who ever demanded they take the belt away from him twice,
0: twice. Yeah. Twice.
1: twice. And it took them a year to do that. Yeah. He, you know, when he, Went on cards all over the world. He went as the main event. Now, many guys will tell you the McMahons brought him into New York. But if you weren't a guy like Dusty Rhodes or Mil Mascaris, if you were just a guy who was on top of another territory, when you came to New York, you were in the opening match or the second match or something like that. Yeah. New York guy. Bruno was always the headliner somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And you saw Bruno's cards having some special guest bonus attraction to help draw because Bruno was enough. Yeah, you know, I mean, you could just lay out all these scenarios and circumstances, and the argument that anybody else did better. And let's face it, what promoter ever took a belt off of somebody because they were drawing too much money? That's never happened. Yeah, no. Right. So Bruno could have been the one thing Bruno did say when he when he was kind of forced into his comeback. um, The rings had changed, and uh, he said, "When I got in the back, I said to you, said to the guys." I said, are you guys kidding with this? This is like a trampoline out there. And he said, if I was wrestling on this my whole career, he said I would have had the championship for 20 years. You know, because <laughs> yeah. these guys were, you know, the Brunos, the Koloffs, the Kowalski's, these guys are taking bumps on boxing rings. Yeah. How much yeah. could your body take of that crap?
0: Yeah, true. Very true. Uh, so Sal, I want to thank you for coming on today. I really, really appreciate it. You gave us a lot of insight. And uh you know, I reached out to you a few weeks back, and you accepted right away. And uh, we have a mutual friend, Greg Gagne, uh, great guy. Uh, and I have a lot of respect for, for Bruno. Uh, always have. Uh, you know, I never met the guy, but I've heard just – I've never heard a bad thing about the guy, ever. Well,
1: that that that's that's right. And, you know, yeah. I'm, I didn't uh, – we do have a mutual friend in Greg Gagne, and I will tell you one of the smoothest matches I was ever in again, in the Denver auditorium, Greg Gagne against Kurt Henning.
0: Yeah.
1: You, you know, working with Greg, um, he was a guy obviously could have used, you, you know, some guys needed in, putsky needed some inches, you know, another 20 pounds on Greg Ganya with his working ability. Who knows what that might've, that might've agree.
0: Yeah. You know,
1: sure. meant. You, you know, the only thing I forgot to mention before you go is the whole wrestle reunion thing really started to come loose. Um, a few weeks beforehand, if it wasn't for the, this Anthony Atanasio that I told you about, the guy mm-hmm. started, it was really him that stepped up and saved Wrestle Reunion. And, yeah. um, you know, so, you know, he's a guy that nobody knows. But for all the fans who were there that loved it, they still tell stories about it, They want to see the matches without Anthony, there's, there's a good chance they would have had a different look to it. Yeah. Um, or I would have had to make some other arrangements real quick, because unfortunately, when you take the word of some people, who are not stand-up people? Yeah, yeah, it can get it can get ugly very quick.
0: Yeah,
1: but I've learned I certainly learned my lesson. But uh, so yeah, he's as huge an influence in me in the wrestling business as as some of these other guys. Yeah, he he helped open the door, and then he kept the door open when it could have been slammed in my face.
0: Yeah,
1: so all of that is appreciated. I appreciate your time today. Um, I appreciate I'll,
0: you coming on here today. Yeah. I know you're a busy man, and and you got a lot of. Probably got a lot of things going on and taking time out of your schedule. I appreciate it very much. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Sal Corrente, the Big Cheese. Now, now you said it wrong. Oh, you said it right the first time. I didn't say it right. I'm sorry. No, it's it's Sal Correnti. Sal Correnti.
1: Like the E might be silent. I don't know. However, you want to say it, but it's not yeah. an sound at the it's end. Not of an A.
0: Time. Sal Correnti. There okay. you go. Now you got it. I apologize. Okay. Uh, no,
1: no worries. You have a great day. Hopefully, your audience enjoys right. some of these uh, stories oh, yeah. that are probably older than they are.
0: Well, you know what? I'm going to look for those. Hopefully, you'll get that uh, video situation resolved, and we can we can see those someday soon. So I'm hoping. Yeah. Well, that- those
1: those matches. Believe me, there was some real. I don't know if you ever saw the WrestleMania lineups. There's a thing on Wikipedia gives the lineups of the first three. Okay. Some, some really great matches yeah. there. I mean, they're, they're, yeah. they're real. Uh, oh, I'm sure. So hope, hopefully. Yes. I'll be. And when I say nobody's seen them, that means including me.
0: Well, yeah, that's, that's not good. Yeah. Then. yeah we need to see them Definitely. Yeah, for, uh, for sure. So you have a great day. All right. You too, for Sal. Thanks, for thanks for and people out there. Thanks for watching. If you're listening, thank you. And please subscribe. We'll talk to you soon.